This is a production of NTEU, Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'd like to welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast. It's a weekly podcast for as many weeks as we can keep it going. We do most weeks, miss a few here and there. But my name is Larry Lannon. I am a retiree, and I am a volunteer with Chapter 49, uh, helping out with communication. So we appreciate you uh, listening. We just want to let you know this podcast is available uh, on a number of platforms. Uh, We host it at SoundCloud, but you can find us at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and a number of other uh, places that you can find it. If you can find uh, any of those, just uh, search podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N, and uh, you can find uh, just, I I produce a number of different podcasts, and just look for the Chapter 49 podcast, and we've been doing this for 11 months, so we have uh, built up a, a number of them. I've never counted them, but we've We've certainly done uh, our share over the last 11 months. So as usual, welcome to uh, the NTEU Chapter 49. President Duncan Giles, welcome back. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. And I'm wondering uh, if our podcasts, you know, and the IRS management probably wonders if our podcasts are available on the dark web because that's probably where they consider it. (laughs) You know, for people who don't know what the dark web is, (laughs) <laughs> That's where all the sinister stuff of the internet goes on. Like, you know, um, well, I won't get into what it is. If, you, if you're looking to sell an illegal machine gun, that's where you go. That's one example I can tell you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, we, we're not on the dark web, at least as far as I know. I, don't, I, have not, I have not put us on the dark web, but I can't guarantee anything. I haven't been selling social security numbers. You can be ready. So I'm, I'm not guilty of as charged, of, as, as alleged of anything. Having It's all a joke in case somebody's listening, but we will get to our serious business of the day. And the first thing is, and we, you know, we, we like to have good news when we can find it. We haven't had much to, to cheer about as far as pay raises for a lot of years, but now, it and it's not official, it's just a, a media report, I believe it was from Federal News Network, that found out from a source that President Biden plans to propose a 2.7% wage increase for federal employees in the budget that's being put together. And Duncan, just based on what we've been dealing with for quite a long time, that's good news. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Congress uh, has proposed, there have been some proposals in Congress for a 3.2%. I think that was going to be a tough go. But if the president puts in his budget a 2.7%, and again, we have no idea how much is going to go towards everyone, and then what adjustment, if any, of that is for locality pay, we just don't know. It's too soon. But Anything between a 2.7 and a 3.2 would be very good news to start bringing up the pay for federal employees who, for way, way, way too long, in my mind, have been uh, underpaid compared with uh, the work that they do uh, for private sector. Yeah, and it, there have been many, many studies of this, and, and it is a bit complicated, and that's how some people have looked at it. You know, the Clinton administration, as, as friendly as they were to employees and, and, and unions in some respects, always seemed to to uh, balk a bit at the pay raise because their, their view was uh, that it was difficult to compare the whole compensation package 
that a federal employee gets with the private sector. But I've always argued that, you know, you there are ways to evaluate that. And there are all kinds of perks not available to the federal workforce that lots of private sector workers have access to. I don't know, stock options is one would be one simple example, particularly uh, in the tech industry. But there's a whole long list of them. And yes, there are some benefits uh, federal employees get that many don't in the private sector. But I, I never felt that we were overpaid or overcompensated. Having been a Fed for 28 years, I certainly never got that feeling. I was able to make a, a decent living, and I'm not complaining, but to say that we were overcompensated or didn't reserve raises, I don't think that the data we have supports that. I'd really like to get your your uh, take on all that. I I wholeheartedly agree. It's it's extremely tough to compare apples to apples. You know, people say, well, you know, this job compares exactly to this one. No, it actually doesn't. Whether it's you know folks in the service centers doing their type of work, which is fairly unique. Well, you have people on the phones and other people answer the phones. Yeah, but they're not answering it to the depth and technical and the law needed and scrutiny that is required of IRS employees. And then you compare, you know, well, you've got debt collectors. Well, that's not the same as a revenue officer. That's not the same as somebody in automated collection. Far from it. And, you know, the folks who go out and do the exams, whether it's an SBSE or LBNI, you know, are for what they do and what they collect are all underpaid. Everyone, it, to me, is underpaid. And, you know, people, until they start dealing with the IRS or any federal government agency and the employees therein, they don't realize how much effort and how much knowledge is needed uh, to do these jobs. and that the vast, vast, vast majority of employees do a wonderful job at it and, you know, bust their ass, frankly. Okay, we're trying to make this a family show. So let's watch your language, Duncan. <laughs> but you are true. And, and, you know, both of us have had years in, the, in government service. I've been I've government service. I have been uh, retired for about nine years, and uh, I'm as fresh in my memory all those years. And, and I think that's another misnomer, if I can just spend a moment on this. There is this view that the federal government is populated in its employees with a lot of people who are simply not up to the job or not performing well. And I did not, you know, I worked for years, 14, 15 years in a private sector before I went into government service. And I can assure you, I saw as many, if not more, incompetent people who knew the boss or was related to somebody on the board or something uh, who were able to, 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 to incompetently do a private sector job. And uh, yes, there are people with performance issues, but if you have a good manager, the manager will, will help that person. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. So um, yeah, I, I always remember reading early on that the civil service was supposed to be patterned generally after the private sector. I think the changes in private sector employment have made it more complicated, but I still think it can be done. So we're, we are pleased with the 2.7% pay raise proposal that appears to be on the way from the president. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we move on? Uh, just like I said, that once we start getting more firm numbers, both from Congress and also from the uh, administration, that we may be asking you to um, 
contact your members of Congress to let them know that you support this race because the the folks in Congress do listen when uh, taxpayers and we are all taxpayers, you know, make our voices heard. So if we ask you to do things of that nature, it's not because, you know, it's a whim. It's because this is something that's very important for our jobs, for our earnings, things of that nature. And it's very easy to do. So just be aware of that. Uh, the possibility is exists out there. Yeah, and, and very good point that when NTEU sends out that message, please contact your members of Congress and senators. Uh, it's because there's a reason. We're at a key point, and they need to hear from you at that time. So uh, if we send out such a message and you're listening and you're an NTEU member, please you know, heed that advice. It's very easy to do, and we won't get into all that now, but it's uh, we'll give you all those instructions at the proper time. Let's move on. We're, uh, it's uh, Friday afternoon. We uh, are recording this. Uh, the date of uh, is April 2nd. We got past April Fool's Day. Thank goodness we didn't record on April Fool's Day this year. But uh, we, uh, we are uh, recording a little later in the day than we normally do because, Duncan, you have con- continued to be involved in these Zoom negotiating sessions with the management uh, just to let just for people who don't know or maybe forgotten about this, you're a permanent member of the negotiating team that will be bargaining the new version of the national agreement, which is the biggest negotiation NTU has with IRS at any time. And that uh, you are part of that team. Management has got their team together. You are being, uh, sending proposals back and forth. Uh, again, we are a little limited in going into details about what you're talking about just because of rules about not negotiating in public, but uh, just kind of tell us what the last week has been like is to the extent you can. Um, you know, we're constantly, both parties, management and NTU, are trying to go through the articles that are open, and there are many, many articles in the contract that are open this go-around uh, to try and find as much common ground as we can to come to an agreement that works for both parties. And as everyone listening can well imagine, sometimes it's easier than others. And, you know, this has been one of those weeks where there's been a lot of uh, not a meeting of the minds for a lot of things. Let's put it that way. There has been some agreements that we're coming to on some things, but there's been an awful lot of um, just basically different ways of getting to objectives. Yeah, that, that, that you, you've learned the art of diplomatic language, Doug, and I'm so proud of you. Scares the heck out of me <laughs> because we don't often hear that <laughs> from you. But. I actually, I actually <laughs> used the phrase. I actually used the phrase this week. Wouldn't that add to managerial burden about a management proposal? Uh huh. That scared the heck out of me. And, and it scared the heck out of a couple of my team members. Yeah. Well, uh, having, <laughs> having been a, an NTU rep, uh, vice president, and later a manager, uh, yeah, I mean, managers spend more time helping their employees and moving them along if they don't have crazy things to do. So that's not entirely outside the interest of the union, but I'll just leave that <laughs> leave that message there. <laughs> you may not always agree with that, but that's okay. We have different backgrounds. So, uh, again, uh, Duncan's working hard on this. You'll have another negotiating session, I believe, in April on Zoom. And then you are you heading to Washington, D.C. for the in-person starting in May, or where will this be held? Yeah, it'll be in Washington, D.C. starting in May. Hopefully by then everybody will have their vaccination, so we'll be safe. 
Um, and I, I, you know, this is the first time I've ever experienced Zoom negotiations. I hope it's the last. And I just firmly believe that in-person is much more productive. I understand why we did it this way due to safety, but I think the in-person will be uh, more productive. Have you actually verified uh, each party that you will have? I'm getting the full vaccination each, either is either uh, two weeks after the one Johnson & Johnson injection or two weeks after the second injection if you're using Moderna or Pfizer. So have you actually talked about whether everyone will be fully vaccinated by that definition when you meet in May? That discussion hasn't even come up yet. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe it will next next time. Who knows? I, I would, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly it has behind the scenes. But at the actual table, no, that discussion has not come up. Well, let's talk about a related issue. Uh, we're a broken record on this one. Again, we are still waiting OPM guidance and all the leave and time off that's included in the American Rescue Plan, that $1.9 trillion spending package had all sorts of uh, information and, and provisions in the law, not just information, provisions of law included in it. So under the law, federal employees have all this leave available to them, yet cannot access it because uh, the uh, regulations and the implementation rules have not been issued by the OPM. We have been told that uh, the, the attorneys and the professionals at OPM have been working hard on this, but we still don't have any guidance on time off leave that can be taken uh, administrative, we hope, in many situations for post-vaccination periods. So, uh, do we have any feel for this at this point as to when we might see that? I wish we did. There's just not been anything that's come out that has said, okay, this is the date we're going to have it by. All we keep hearing is, is they're working on it. And this is not an IRS issue. This is across the entire federal government that people are waiting for this information from OPM. I think, you know, it's one of those things this went through this bill went through Congress fairly fast, and we're still doing a changeover at OPM uh, between the past administration and this one. So I think they're trying to make sure they get everything right. And unfortunately, the employees are getting uh, caught up in the middle. It's taking a little bit longer than any of us would like. Hopefully, it'll be any day. But I keep saying that. And NTEU, our president, uh, nationally, Tony Reardon, and his staff have been in constant contact with officials at OPM. So we are pushing this, but we, again, again, it needs to be done right. And there is this transition from one administration uh, to another. But uh, hopefully this will be done sooner rather than later. But we've been saying that for a while. Again, this is what you're entitled to have. Uh, under the law, we are hopeful there'll be some retroactive provisions, but Duncan, there's no guarantee, is there? Exactly. Then we just we don't know if it's just going to be okay. Starting from the time of guidelines, starting from you know, is it going to be when the law was passed, which would make it retroactive? We just don't know at this time. There is uh, a news release that was issued by the National NTU organization just the other day before we record this. Again, it's April 2nd, Friday afternoon we're recording this. But um, there is a proposal which I find uh, interesting, and I, I 
I'm glad to see it because I think it's been a long time coming. There have always been certain provisions for forgiveness of student loans in very narrow situations, such as people uh, serving uh, as a teacher in an underserved area or a medical professional in an underserved area. There are always very small carve-outs to uh, forgive student loan and make that forgiveness non-taxable. For the for the tax geeks who do listen to this, and there are some, uh, we all know forgiveness of loans would normally create taxable income. So uh, we are pushing hard for any proposal to include that. But the proposal has been issued, and NTU is a part of several organizations, saying that if you have been a public sector employee, federal or otherwise, um, that and you serve 10 years or more, and you have outstanding student loans, excuse me, student loans, you should have those loans forgiven. I mean, my gosh, there are so many people that would benefit from this. And and I don't and I'm just going to explain. A lot of people are upset about this uh, this move to forgive student loans. I think one argument is, well, I worked hard and I did it, and I worked weekends and I worked nights and I worked during the summer. I'm sorry to say, if you're at most universities, you can't even come close to paying for college today or even the last ten years doing that. There was a time that that could be done. Those times are long gone. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I would argue for this is the immense drag that student loans are in the economy. You know, people aren't buying cars like they used to. They're not buying homes. They're not buying bigger ticket items because they're paying off their student loans and they just can't afford it. And it's been, it's so much of it, it's just a huge drag on the economy. So I feel this is something that uh, will reward people who have been in the public sector doing good work uh, as a public sector employee, even if you've left after 10 years, uh, I think there's a provision here in this proposal to allow one to, to still take advantage of it. Again, it's only a proposal at this point. Uh, tell us what uh, you think of all this and anything you'd like to add about this idea. Yeah, it's been something that um, NTU has been pushing uh, along with a lot of other people for a very, very long time just for the reasons that uh, that you've suggested. It's it's something that, to be honest with you, in my mind, it should have been done a long time ago because it it's just, there's the good far, far, far outweighs the supposed bad in doing this. So I, I just think that for everyone concerned, it would be a very good thing to forgive them and not make it taxable. But like you said, Right now, it's a proposal. We'll have more information on this as it comes out. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. I'm sure that uh, it's not just NTEU, but a number of other unions and organizations have backed this, which means someone in Congress will introduce it, and we will certainly hope to see action, but we don't have any specifics on that yet. That's just in the the early stages, but we'll keep you posted right here and also uh, on our news feed. We we do have a news feed on Facebook at... uh, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. And so you can uh, always like us or uh, just follow us if you want to get the uh, our updates via the, the Facebook news feed. Let me move on to another issue. And this is sort of a, a, a niche issue, but it, it, it impacts enough people uh, that we need to talk about it, particularly when we had that long government shutdown uh, 
a while back uh, where government was shut down for 35 days, which was a painful experience for a number of reasons for a lot of us. But there's one aspect of it that fell through a crack, if you will. Uh, When you have a situation where you have a major life event, you're married, divorced, you have a child, those are major life events that can change your insurance enrollment. Okay, So if you're married and you want to put your spouse on your health insurance and there was a government shutdown, there was no way to do that. The government was shut down. There was no way to get it done. Well, there now are new regulations being finalized. This is where OPM is further along with the uh, the regulations on this particular area. They've been working on this for a long time that would allow employees to make major life events uh, and make the, how should I put that, enrollment decisions and changes based on those major life events, even if they're Happened to be a government shutdown, the one from 2018 to 19, which lasted 35 days over two different calendar years. A lot of people found themselves in a, in a black hole because they would have medical expenses that could not be paid because the new child or the new spouse or other examples could not be covered. So, Duncan, this is very good news. Absolutely. And like you said, it's been something that's been looked at for quite a long time since that shutdown. And they finally come up with a way to um, fix it. And I, you know, I'm hoping it'll never have to be used again. We won't have those types of situations. But if we do, it's very good that now there's a mechanism in place to take care of this issue. So that's uh, every now and then we do have some good news, and we're glad to pass that along. There's one last thing I want to discuss on this podcast. And this has to do with something you have mentioned, and uh, I know you can't talk about it, but probably has or will uh, be a, a subject at the negotiating table. That has to do with the number of IRS employees now on telework. Uh, as you have mentioned before, particularly, let's say, in toll-free and some other corners of the service, IRS had always said there was no capability of putting people in their homes and, for instance, taking uh, telephone calls in the toll-free system. just couldn't be done. It wasn't possible. There wasn't technically enough. It just wasn't enough technical support to do it, not enough uh, bandwidth. However you want to describe it, it just couldn't be done. IRS did not have enough technology to do that. But now IRS has more than doubled the number of people teleworking as of the pandemic to now, or certainly at the end of 2020. So the inspector general, our friends at TIGDA, have done a, an audit on this. I have just seen a summary of it really just a few minutes before we began recording this, and so maybe we can talk more about this later. Um, but uh, Commissioner Redding has had some testimony recently on Capitol Hill Uh, several times over the past year and would basically uh, brag about the fact that, hey, we ramped up our telework capacity uh, after this mandatory evacuation order was issued. uh, And as a result of that, you know, yes, we, we took a hit with people not being able to work for a while, but we got as many people on telework as we possibly could. Now, I haven't, again, had a chance to read the whole report. I just saw a summary of it, but I understand it does document what uh, some people call hiccups. I think they're more than a hiccup. 
where even though you were on telework, you couldn't get through to an IT specialist. Uh, there were all kinds of glitches, which would be expected when you're rolling out a whole lot of people, passing out a number of laptops. Uh, there were a lot of issues that just could not be resolved for a while because IT was just so overwhelmed with everything. So that's what that report essentially said. I would say, Duncan, those audit results are, are not a big surprise to people like you. No, not at all. It's just one of those things that, you know, where they're saying, you know, hiccups are an interesting word to use with this because it's it's with the pandemic starting and we threw so many people on telework in such a short period of time out of necessity that it was very much like opening a fire hydrant. So, of course, there were going to be hiccups, issues, things of that nature. I would be surprised if there weren't. Um, it, it's one of those things, though, that it did show, like you said, there are an awful lot of occupations that the service in previous years had said, no, we are, there's no way that these folks can telework, that we've now shown that we can. And going forward, if we can make sure that we've got the proper equipment for folks, um, you know, enough bandwidth so we don't have the issues there and, you know, enough computers and support because these poor folks in IT are working their butts off, but, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed as well. And so I think that it can work very, very well in the future. And I think that the entire federal government is looking at this like a wave of the future saying, you know, let's, let's take a look at this. Um, because it, it can work in the natural result of this is possibly saving some money down the road in rents where you have people having to go in less time. So more desk sharing if they're only having to come in twice a pay period, a greater number of people doing that. So there are a lot of pluses to that. Um, you know, folks being able to be there at home. So you're not having to worry about commutes, uh, things of that nature. There, there's just an awful lot of pluses to uh, ramping up telework to the greatest extent possible. And it's good to see that uh, we have some uh, an organization like TIDDA, which is independent, looking at this and, and providing some data. And I'm sure that uh, NTEU will be perusing that data as well to show that, hey, you know, IRS, there were some issues, but by and large, you were able to successfully roll out all this telework just after being told uh, by NTU, being told to NTU by the management how it couldn't be done, well, guess what? They did it when they had to get it done. And I, I find, exactly. and of course, it was, and I, it was a Herculean effort. And I want to uh, praise all the people at IRS for the good work they did under under the gun. And uh, but it gives us a, a template to know how to move forward. Duncan, I want to. We're about to wrap this up, but literally, as we have been recording this podcast, uh, I received some very disturbing news that uh, a member of the Capitol Police Force has died defending the Capitol on this uh, <sighs> afternoon, uh, March of uh, April second. Uh, just for people who, I mean, probably most of you will know this by the time you uh, hear this podcast, but a man tried to uh, basically. Uh, uh, take drive his vehicle through a fence and into a barricade and uh, through all that we don't I don't have all the details but I do have the, the one detail that a capital police officer was killed the suspect was killed when he left uh, his vehicle brandished a knife and was coming after people so, so he was uh, shot and killed and he died at the hospital later 
but the Capitol Police officer passing away. I mean, after January 6th, what happened then? Mm -hmm. And to see this happening now, and I've said this before, Duncan, I uh, spent uh, many uh, a legislative conference uh, on Capitol Hill working uh, for NTEU as a volunteer to to lobby Congress, see members of uh, the the House and the Senate. Uh, I I loved the Capitol Police officers. They were terrific people, friendly. They did their job, and they did it well. And anything they asked of me was very reasonable and understandable in terms of going through security whenever I was entering a building. So any time I see something like this happen where a Capitol Police officer dies in a line of duty, uh, it's it's troubling. But uh, just wanted to say how, how just how awful I feel at the moment. Uh, the, certainly, uh, I certainly wish the family well getting through all this. Uh, people who work in law enforcement, whether it's at IRS or at the Capitol Police Force, you know, we we put our lives on the line, and um, and it's 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 sad that every now and then that uh, it does cost a life of a dedicated public servant. That's all I'll say right now. But uh, sorry to have to pass that bad news along during our podcast. Uh, that's it's just heartbreaking. It truly is, because like you said, the ladies and gentlemen of the Capitol Police do a great job. They truly do. And they're caught in the middle of something right now that is not of their making, that they don't want to be in the middle of, that they shouldn't be in the middle of. And to see and hear something like this is just truly heartbreaking. And and it's got to stop. It's just got to stop. Well, I'm certainly with you there, and I think a lot of our listeners would agree with you, Duncan. Well, we are going to have to close on a sad note, and we had some good news in this podcast, but we have to let it live, just give you what we know, and that's uh, what we know now, as sad as it may be. But uh, we are uh, looking forward to speaking with you again next week. Uh, Anything that people should know about as we uh, move in uh, to the month of April uh, as far as what uh, IRS employees should be looking for? Yeah, right now we're starting to turn the corner on COVID, but we're just starting. You know, continue to wear your masks, continue to social distance, continue to wash your hands. I'm a firm believer in vaccinations. I've gotten my first shot. I'm waiting to get my second. I would urge everyone to get the vaccinations. You know, people talk about herd immunity. We're not going to reach that until a great many of percentage, a very high percentage of our population has either had COVID, which I wouldn't wish on anyone, or, you know, gets a vaccination. So please, please, please get the vaccination and let's try and beat this thing back and and be done with it. Yes, uh, very well said. I was uh, talking to, I live in Fishers, Indiana, suburb of Indianapolis, and uh, I was talking to our, the lady who heads up our local health department recently, and uh, we'd seen a downturn in positive cases. And, and, and she said, and this, uh, she gave a lot of reasons. One I never thought about is that there are a number of people who never got tested who are asymptomatic who have had it and don't even know it. And once you've had it, you have some antibodies that will probably keep you from getting it for about 90 days, as best we can tell. So uh, that's, it's nice to know that, uh, you know, the infections are down, but that should not stop people from, from getting the vaccination, at least in my view. Okay, Duncan, well, uh, anything else to add before we uh, wrap this one up? No, I just want everybody to be careful out there. 
you know, if, if you're listening to this before your Easter holiday, I hope you have a good one. If not, and if you celebrate it, that you had a good Easter holiday. And I thank you, Duncan, for another great podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. Again, I uh, do uh, uh, communication work as a volunteer here for Chapter 49. I've been a retiree for about nine years after 28 years of, of service uh, with the IRS. So we are want to thank you once again for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, pass it around. Let people know. Uh, again, we've tried to explain where you can find it. Uh, just search podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. And you can usually find that I produce a number of podcast lines, but just look for Chapter 49 podcasts in that list, and uh, you'll you'll find them all there. You may have to dig a little further down, but uh, they're all there. So thank you very much for listening, and I would ask each of you to please be safe and be kind.